It's one of the things I don't really follow other breweries that closely because if you do read and follow all this other, these other breweries, is that even subconsciously you find yourself copying. And welcome to Brews News Week, episode number 393, recorded on Thursday, the 3rd of November, 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined by industry consultant, uh, sorry, scratch that, general manager of Brews News, Sabrina Cudens, and by Steve Jeffers, director and co-founder of the Stomping Ground Brewing Company, and also the great Australasian beer spectacular. Uh, welcome to you, Steve. Hey, Matt, nice to see you. Nice to see you as well, Sabrina. Hey, Steve. And I don't want to bury the uh, bury the headline. Uh, congratulations, Sabrina. We can finally uh, an- announce your uh, your appointment. You've been consulting to us for a while, and uh, we've been able to make it official. Yeah, it's going to be um, it's going to be fun. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> well, thank thank you for coming on board. Uh, it's, it's very exciting for me, and uh, I'm sure it is for the listeners. As I uh, as I commented on your LinkedIn post, I think in the business they call it adult supervision. <laughs> Well, I do have a toddler at home, so let's see if there's some transferable skills. <laughs> I know what that says about me. But uh, Steve, thank you for joining us. Mate, we, you've, you've been a guest on Beer as a Conversation, but never a uh, panellist on, on, on this little uh, news discussion. How are you going? Uh, doing very well, thank you. I'm very honoured to be here. This is another bucket list item I can tick off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for inviting me. I, I've been... Um, I've been great. I, I think uh, you know I had a bit of a health scare back in January, so uh, it's. Uh, I feel like I'm running on all cylinders now, which is uh, fantastic, and I'm gearing up for what I hope, fingers crossed, is going to be a great summer. This is one of the things that is always challenging in in news reporting. Obviously, we were very aware of of it and you know, very uh, mindful of you, but it's the sort of news that you don't necessarily want to uh, you know break. It, it, it's personal news, you know, when somebody has a health scare. Um, and you're never quite sure whether you want to intrude uh, on it because it's it's of interest to the industry, but it's not industry news. Um, it is and it's it's a hard one. So you, you've obviously opened it. Do you want to talk a little bit about what happened? Oh yeah, and I'm very happy to chat about it as well. I think if if there's anything uh, I can do to help um, businesses invest in in uh, training and and uh, defibs and the like that can uh, that may help uh, people like me. Um, then I think uh, I'll, do, I'll do that every day of the week. But, but yeah, back in January, I was riding my push bike and just um, had a cardiac arrest. Um, fitter than I, at that point, I was fitter than I ever was. And um, riding my bike alone, and I was very lucky that I happened to be riding uh, along the beach in Black Rock in Melbourne in an affluent suburb that uh, <laughs> there's lawyers and, um, and doctors are plenty down there. And uh, a doctor was riding past within a minute or two saw me and um, was able to start good CPR and uh, my heart stopped for 14 wow. minutes my heart stopped for 14 minutes and uh, wow. I was able, I was rushed off to hospital but because of that good CPR and the help of another uh, another woman and other bystanders I um, I'm here to tell the tale which is probably about a five percent chance that night there was a nine percent chance that I would have lived uh, that I lived a 91 percent chance that I'd die and then of those people who survive most have brain damage so I'm I'm Relative, you know, I'm I'm feeling a hundred percent now. So I was extremely lucky, and uh, we certainly the the ABC News picked up on the story and reunited me with the people who helped save my life. Um, but then I've um, been um, encouraging businesses, including our own, to invest in training and and installing defibs in in the businesses and the breweries. So um, yeah, it's an easy thing to do. Um, it doesn't cost much money, and um, it can make uh, a big difference and save people's lives. And, and just on the, uh, on, on the chance of having brain damage, it's because the blood flow to, to, to the brain um, and because of the quality of the CPR you got, which is why you've become such a, an advocate for training staff on, you know, what is a, a, a fairly basic technique, but a very, very important one and an easily learned one. It's really straightforward. Um, you can do courses. Um, I believe there are some sort of business incentives to, uh, to encourage people to do it. Um, and even if you go into YouTube, you can learn the basics of it. So that's better than nothing. Um, but it can have a material difference. And even the defibs these days, they're so smart. They actually tell you what they speak to you and tell you what you actually need to do. And um, 
I, I, I had a defib, I think, after 11 minutes and didn't, didn't uh, start my heart. But uh, the second one a few minutes later or a couple of minutes later did. And um, so all those things combined uh, just made all the difference and meant that I'm still here today to be able to talk to you, which is good news for me. Oh, and it did, don't look, I think it's great news for the industry. But uh, the, the other bit of news uh, that you featured in this year that we were able to report on was uh, Stomping Ground, the, the brewery that you co-founded, uh, became part of the uh, Gage Roads or the, the Good Drinks juggernaut. Yeah, that's right. Um, the, in, in, to keep it short, we were looking for capital pre-COVID and then uh, COVID put a pause to that. But uh, coming out of it, we, were, we started the process again and we had been approached... Um, cold through um, LinkedIn to uh, um, with and connected us with good drinks and that became one of the options that we were considering and over time originally it was a minority discussion and then over time we figured that uh, with their skill sets and, and people um, that it might be simpler and better if we became joined forces basically and we became their brewery brand on the east coast because uh, they've had tremendous success with Gage on the west coast but uh, uh, they hadn't they weren't as successful as quickly as they hoped on the East Coast. So by joining forces with us, they felt that they could put all their skill set and bring help amplify what we do well ourselves. And um, time will tell, but it's been a really good start. The deal is not yet fully completed, should be completed within the next three weeks or so. But um, we've spent a lot of time and, um, and effort uh, meeting their team, them, us, uh, us sharing how we do things with them and vice versa. And, and to date, it's been, uh, it's been a, a really encouraging start. And to be honest, we're just getting, we're chomping at the bit to get cracking. You, you said that you're looking for capital. You didn't consider one of these uh, really uh, powerful equity crowdfunding uh, raises. It seemed to sort of raise a lot of money uh, for, for businesses. Uh, listen, there's been many discussions over the years about the pros and cons of that. There were some of um, the people on our board who were interested in that, but the, most of us um, felt it wasn't really, really the right fit for us. It, it certainly works for other brands, and, and some brands have done it really well. It's not uh, a lay-down misere that you're going to achieve what you hope to achieve. There are, I think, there are cautionary tales in what's uh, what's happened to date, but we decided that was not for us. But so we were, we had a number of options, obviously, but uh, the the smart investment of uh, partnering with GDA is is one that we felt in this sort of a highly competitive climate coming out of COVID was one that would serve us well and allow us to chase our dreams and um, just get get to where we want to get to a bit quicker. The first thing you talked about there was the people on your board. Um, and one of the things that Matt and I talk about a lot, um, and I know the industry grapples with a lot, is sort of that beer is now business um, and we've often sort of advocated for sort of external some non-executive directors or bringing people into boards but that seems to be a lot of small businesses really struggle with getting that intensive outside scrutiny <laughs> I guess as it were have you found that that was sort of a critical component sort of having a, a good board was a critical component of you being able to really assess the best decisions uh, for the organization because it required you to really, um, you know, I guess, really look at them all in detail as opposed to one person, uh, a single co-founder, owner being like, we're going to do this today. <laughs> Let's see how it shakes out. Listen, whether they're on the board or whether, like uh, we've only got a small board of four, four people, I think we had at the time, um, but we had a couple of other shareholders as well. So we were a pretty small group of people. But um, I so whether they're on the board or shareholders or whether just people in your uh business or social group, it's really good to have other smart pe smarter people than I am to bounce uh, our ideas and thoughts off. Like, you know, often our gut has served us well over the years for us, at least, but uh, there's there's no harm in bouncing ideas off people who uh, have experience and skills in either your industry or more broadly uh, in other businesses. And uh, that ultimately has served us really well. There's there's certainly things that we wanted to do better and we talked about advisory boards and this sort of thing, which we never got to do. But um, so we weren't kind of best practice. I wouldn't say we were best practice at all, but we um, I think we we were striving to improve all the time and um, we, we had access to um, 
good people and smart people from the from day dot, and that certainly helped. Just uh, back on the equity question, I, I don't know whether you've had uh, comments about the the, the valuation and. Being a public company, we, we became aware of roughly what the, the the sale value was. But I've had a number of businesses um, express surprise that the number was um, as low as it was, is to, to use their terms. Um, when I also said, well, actually, that's the valuation. Do, do you think some of the equity crowdfunding valuations have given a slightly distorted view of what the business of brewing is worth? Uh, of course. I think... Um it's easy to be bedazzled by some of the valuations that um, crowdfunding um, has has got for breweries, not only here but overseas. Um, I don't know if many crowdfunding breweries have sold any, um, and if so, at anything like the valuations that uh, they have chosen to put on them. But ultimately, if if people, if the valuations are what, whatever they set them to be, and if they're able to raise funds against on the basis of that valuation, then one could argue that uh, there's a, that's a true valuation, I guess. But um, certainly, my personal view is that um, uh, we we got a fair price uh, for what we did. We've become fairly substantial shareholders in good drinks, and we certainly, while we have to be around for a few years, we want to be around for longer to steer not only stomping ground, but maybe we can offer thoughts and advice to help GDA in other areas of their business as well. But yeah, the valuation thing is, is um, I think many people don't really understand what, what a fair valuation is in the market because it's skewed quite heavily towards the sexier stories of, of crowdfunding, you know, so that's my view on it. I put it out there, I, I tend to agree, but it's one of those things that there are a lot of conversations around it. But when you look objectively at even the valuation for Gage Roads or the, the good drinks business, which I think the market cap is around about 78, 79 million, even though it now includes um, Stomping Ground and all of the other brands, and uh, Mighty Craft, which fully owns Jetty Road and uh, Mismatch and then has shares in a number of others, um, including a, a third share of Better Beer. I think their market cap is only around 55 million. Um, so... Yeah, when, when you look at some of the valuations for breweries that are making you know, less than one and a half million litres without getting growth, pitching them as an investment seems to be a fairly optimistic, I think was the word you used, uh, valuation. We, we, we're well past the days of the you know, billion dollar valuations for BrewDog, for example. Yeah, and there's many examples uh, of uh, breweries in, overseas. Look, look at modern times. Um, mm. That's another example of a brewery that... Um, you know, at one point, I can't remember the numbers, but it was some crazy valuation. And um, what did it sell to Maori Brewing for 15 million or something? I think it was something, and that's 15 million US. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, if you, as you said, use the word objective. If you take an objective view of everything that's happening in the market, we're not where we were two, three, or longer years ago. It's a very different market now. And um, But as I said, if, if you're able to value it at X amount of millions of dollars and you're able to raise two, one, two, three million, or not three million, but one or two million in the space of 24 hours or two days or whatever it is, then, you know, good luck to you because, you know, you're, you're, you're obviously enlisting an army of people to support your brand. Uh, but it's not easy to do. There, as I said, there are caution, cautionary tales of breweries who haven't kind of been able to achieve what they hoped they, uh, they could achieve as well. Yeah, well, and look, I'm just going to editorialise a little bit because I, I agree 100%. If you if you can do what uh, your mates did and raise two and a half million dollars in an hour and a half or whatever, I, I, can't, I think it was about thirty thousand dollars a minute or something like that was was what they and then they had people who couldn't get in even on that valuation. They've clearly built a community of people who are enthusiastic, but anyone who says, "Oh well, we're just building a community and they're supporting our business." My counter is then why are you selling it as an investment? Because none of those businesses are growing anywhere near uh, a, a rate that they'll get a return on the valuations that they're putting on it. But anyway, that, that's that's my. Um, I, I won't I won't get you to comment on that as being an in industry player. We might move on to the rest of the news. And uh, the first story up is a business story: growth at Mighty Craft despite the ATO obstacle. Mighty Craft has seen growth in its Q1 results despite ongoing costs and obstacles from the ATO. 
Uh, it made 20.7 million in receipts from customers, uh, an 81% increase from the same period last year. The business noted that it did not intend to challenge the ATO on the eligibility for Foghorn Brewery to claim the excise rebate, which was extended last year to the $350,000 threshold. A lot of interesting stuff in Mighty Craft. Um, in there, and yesterday, as we record this on the 3rd of November, they released their annual report that uh, included the interesting observation that it had focused breweries, and the focused breweries were Mismatch, Jetty Road, and Better Beer. Um, no mention of the other five breweries in the stable, but the business has previously described uh, it is wanting to dispose of some non-core assets. So I'm wondering whether there is focus breweries, non-core assets, and a middle group, or anyone that's not a focus uh, brewery is a non-core asset. Um, uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, Steve, did you have any observations on, on what was going on there? Listen, I, I follow what Mighty Craft has been doing uh, really since it started, and I think it's, um, like I know it has its detractors, um, and I, I'm not sure where I sit. I kind of vacillate I think between being a fan of what they're doing and other times not so much but it's clearly they've hit a bit of a rocket ship with better beer and good luck to them I think uh, um, their their growth is is not only it's it's staggering to be honest yep but um, it doesn't surprise me that they've got core brands or core breweries that they they think have the best chance of, of helping them achieve their growth ambitions. And then they've got second tier and third tier. And I, I suspect they've given all their brands the opportunity to do their very best. And I'm sure if it was one of the other breweries that are not in the core ones, if, if any any of those had a product or products that, uh, you know, um, tapped into the zeitgeist and just went nuts, I'm sure they would kind of pivot a little bit. But um, <laughs> it's it's been an interesting thing. And coming out of COVID, I've... Um, um, like like us and like most in the brewing industry, is it's they're 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 starting to get traction again, which is is good good to see. It's interesting with Mighty Craft because it was such a different model to the way things had been done previously. I don't want to call it a train wreck, but it is the sort of thing where it's pivoted multiple times, and you're watching it. And you're going, well, which way is it going to go now? We're not 100% sure. And they've obviously made some missteps along the way. They've obviously done some things really well. And so to your point, Steve, it's sort of like, well, how do you feel about it? But it is interesting sort of from a lessons learned, I guess, like what does this mean for industry? Um, that, you know, if you happen to be one of the businesses that strikes the <laughs> strikes the zeitgeist and goes well, you're clearly getting the support and what you need from Mighty Craft. But if you are not one of the businesses that cracks it, it's not your idea. Is Mighty Craft as an accelerator helping you find that idea? And given the fact that they've sort of been able to tier their other businesses, um, it would appear that that's not the case. Like better beer was very much something that was brought to them, not something that Mighty Craft helped. Oh yeah, they, they found the lotto ticket with that one. They they, yeah. they didn't buy the lotto ticket. They found it. But yeah. it definitely plays into so this this comment in here about um, them having to think about Foghorn Brewery um, accepting the decision that it's no longer entitled to that three hundred fifty thousand dollar excise Foghorn not being listed as a focused brewery. You might say, well, they're going to start looking at. If, if if we need to change our ownership structure related to that to make sure that the excise remains for those other businesses to be viable. But all of that says a little bit about what are some of these other new entity forms that are emerging in our market um, and what are the lessons that, you know, other cooperatives or accelerators or other groups need to learn from the way that Mighty Craft has been having to switch. And Matt made the point last week, I think it was, that... Um, you know, if Mighty Craft hit on hit on the lottery ticket, then everybody in the stable wins, as in Mighty Craft wins. But if if everybody takes a loss, uh, Mighty Craft can exit <laughs> exit you. Um, and, and so there is this sort of um, if if one of the breweries wins, Mighty Craft wins. If one of them loses, they're divested. So it's this sort of uh, it, it'll be interesting to watch how how it plays out. I, I would hate to be seen as being damning of Mighty Craft, and I you know I reached out to a couple of the breweries that may be um, surplus to requirements or um, non core assets, uh, including having a great chat with Sean Sherlock, who who didn't want to weigh in on on, on that element of it, but was very very positive in his commentary around uh, Mighty Craft. And as he said, you know, and, and Steve's flagged. 
getting capital raising in a small brewing business is incredibly hard. And I'll let Sean speak for himself about things like equity crowdfunding, but if, if there's traditional bank financing, there's putting your house on the line, there's equity, and then there are having people come in. And so he was, he, he said quite strongly that if we want people to invest in breweries, then why do we want to be so hard on Mighty Craft? And I think that that's a point that needs to be made very, very strongly. And uh, Sean did that. My observation is, and, and, and the reason that I tend to put a fairly hefty focus on Mighty Craft is they came in as founders first talking about accelerating craft breweries. And as, as you said, Sabrina, they've pivoted very strongly away from that. You know, they're no longer dancing with the people that brought them. Um, they've gone for the, you know, sexy new thing. Um, but they're not telling and partly because they're a publicly listed company they've got to focus on the share price they're marketing themselves to the to, to the share market as much as anything else but this by not telling the story about how hard it is to accelerate and grow small craft beer brands there is still this perception in the industry and it is one that is perpetuated by people in their equity crowdfunding documents they're using five and six year old growth figures for craft beer and saying there are now 600 700 breweries in in the country 9000 in the US as if that is a success metric when if you've got 600 breweries in the country and five of them are really struggling that's actually not a success metric and i think by telling the story of mighty craft and the difficulties that it's having with craft beer is an important education for the entire market and particularly the hundred or so breweries that we're tracking that are planning on opening a brewery that are just going to add to that clutter um, and that's you know I, I think Mighty Craft need to actually well by telling the story of Mighty Craft we can show that it's not this rapidly growing business that people were talking about five or six years ago. Yeah, the environment is, is as you just said there it's very different to what it was five years ago it's very different to what it was a year ago, in some respects, it's uh, it's a it's a really really challenging environment out there, and uh, mm. I don't think anyone's immune from it. Um, I think um, everyone, as always, is is searching for the products or the brands or the breweries, and it's uh, there will always be like I, it'll be fascinating to see what happens with Traveller, for instance, as one example yes. of uh, like <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, if, I'm sure you've had conversations about this, but um, I, I described it as the as Iron Jack to Better Beers uh, Great Northern. <laughs> yeah, I, like I, 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 I just never. I've learned never to write anything off, and I, I these things sometimes come. If you do, they come back to bite you on the backside. So mm. um, I watch with great interest to see how how it plays out. But I think whatever the market, there will always be some that uh, can shoot through and um, take off like a rocket ship. Better beer is an example. Traveller might be another one. Um, it might not even be a brand. It might be a product within a brand, uh, within a, a brewery's product. So um, that, that'll always happen. But not, notwithstanding, that's uh, the vast majority, I think, of breweries are, are hurting and, um, and are crossing their fingers that this summer is going to... Uh, to if not save them it's certainly going to to get them back on track uh, because they've racked up debts with ato or whoever it is that uh, they're on a payment plan and um, they can't afford to have a shit summer and so i'm, I'm hoping that for all of us uh, we have a good summer and because uh, i'm not looking forward to having breweries some, some of which i know some of brewery the brewery owners i know um um closing their businesses because um of the tough times that we've all had to endure. And certainly the uh, equity crowdfunding prospectuses that I'm reading, the hubris in them doesn't match the conversations I'm having with any other brewery privately. Um, and, and and that's concerning. And even, um, and I don't want to talk too much about it because I haven't had a chance to really um, investigate it, but Batch Brewing, which was one of the equity crowdfunding uh, good on them. They posted their annual report um, to ASIC when so many of them haven't met that obligation. And they certainly haven't hit the numbers they were talking about in their um, equity crowdfunding just 12 months ago, despite coming out of COVID and things. So, you know, I'd, again, it, 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 my focus is always on having a realistic, if you want to enter the market, do it, but have a realistic view. Don't have this 
um, Goldilocks view of uh, or, or, or this you know idealistic view that we're still where craft beer was um, in, in its rapid growth phase? Yeah, I'm not seeing um, like uh, we'll talk to I know later on when we talk about what breweries are, are of note or of interest to us all, but um, I, I, I think I would have expected and maybe it'll happen just in, in time, but uh, a, f- a few more slightly changed business plans as to like for new breweries that are opening, I thought that there might be a few that open with a slightly different plan to what we what you might have done 12, 18, two or three years ago. Because mm. uh, I certainly would have be I'd be changing my plans um, based on what I know is happening in the industry, not what, um, as you say, um, what the spin sometimes suggests. What would what that, that's interesting. Sorry, just before we move on from that, Steve, what would you do differently, or what would be your model now, um, if if you were in planning phase now, knowing what you know? Well, it's it's I, I know that uh, when some breweries have sold, I often speak to some of the you know the other independent breweries that have sold over the years and spoken to them about why they've sold, and some have uh, said to me that, like you just said before, Matt, that this is, and this is going back a number of years, is that uh, they had invested or borrowed. Um, to invest in production facilities, expecting growth to continue on the trajectory that they had enjoyed in the year or two or three preceding that. And then they didn't, and then they found it difficult to sleep at night or meet payroll or whatever it might be. Um, I, I think um, I think the self-distribution or no distribution model or even self-distribution model is uh, the, the way to go because clearly there's only a finite number of taps. And I think what's happening in America, and it's starting to happen here, I think is uh, that there'll be a rationalisation of SKUs on, on bottle shop shelves. And, and, and those taps are shrinking. Th- yep. Those taps are shrinking and the shelf space is shrinking as well, particularly in light of competition from the big two. Yep. The big two retailers, not just the big two brewers. Yep, so you don't have to be blind Freddy to see how hard, knee impossible, it's going to be to, to get your product on the shelf. So th- there, there are some uh, breweries, uh, in I know, in, in Perth and uh, in, in the States as well, which I've just followed closely where they've just basically created these fantastic brew pubs and uh, they're getting the margin of products. They can brew whatever they want and uh, if they do put it uh, in, in cans, uh, they sell it themselves locally, if at all. Claire had a conversation with Rami Abdallah from Brayside and that was essentially, he he was like, we didn't want to package, but now we've packaged and we sell it, we distribute ourselves to our local, like within, you know, this tiny radius. And the second um, observation is we had a conversation with someone um, recently who has a pretty business mind in relation to all of the equity crowd funds and they made the exact point that said all of these keep talking about investing in production facilities and none of them are talking about investing in sales stuff and marketing. So they keep talking about how much more beer they're going to make but actually the biggest challenge in our industry is selling the beer, it's not making the beer. And so um, where how are they going to make enough sales to meet production and only in the last couple of weeks we've started to see uh, breweries advertising their surplus capacity to take on contract brewing for others Um, and some of those have recently grown their production sizes so that really echoes the point that you've just made around you know the challenges the challenges selling the beer actually um, these days Uh, and so what does that mean for your business model yeah did you read um, just yesterday? I think it was about um, Lost Abbey. Yes. Lost Abbey. Lost yeah. Abbey. Like uh, yeah. S- scaling back as opposed to uh, scaling up. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and proudly doing so. Like they've t- yep. not gone on the front foot just to kind of to get ahead of any stories that might suggest their uh, suggest uh, other other reasons why they might be doing it. But and there may be a bit of spin to the to what they're actually talking about as well. But um, yeah, I think that sense of um, of localism is so strong now that um, I think the effort required, the resources, and I would contend a good dose of good luck um, to be able to sell your products far from home. When I mean far from home, I mean interstate or even four hours down the road drive is is getting harder and harder. So I'd be kind of getting and just trying to focus on your own patch and may perhaps not even package your product because by the time, especially if you're not investing in your own, you know, if you don't have your own canning line and you're bringing in an external canning, like the margins are so slim, it's just 
don't bother. Just, but you know that then it becomes what sort of a business you want to set set up. And and if you not if you don't love hospitality, then maybe don't get into the game at all because that's a key part of it as well. Something that really, Steve, you um, said getting on the shelves before, and as soon as you said that, the first thing I thought about was I saw a row of beer cans on the shelf and, uh, you know, sort of picturing them. And I just realized that when you see cans on the shelf, it's the one that stands out. There's the one that you want to buy because... Cans They're or like mini, a billboard. mini billboard. They are just like a mini billboard, and uh, you know, any if I needed a mini billboard, the people that I would go to to get that mini board, <laughs> billboard printed would be a uh, Rallings label stickers and packaging. Um, <laughs> they can get the specs right, so you can get your bottle, uh, your can or bottle looks its best at all times. And I'm pretty sure they could even do some of the shelf talkers and any of your printing needs. Go speak to the guys at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. You can give them a call on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au to see how they can help you make the most of your branding. How was that? Seamless. Great. Seamless. Loved it. Loved it. Uh, <laughs> So moving on in the news, because we, uh, as we tend to, uh, we're going to be well and truly over the cook limit. Um, we might dispose of this one reasonably quickly. Um, new column that we've started, people moves. There are so many people moving in and through the industry uh, that we've started a new column. Uh, sudden, some of the new uh, interesting ones are Caddy has a new CEO, Mighty Craft has a new chairman, Deeds Brewing has a new head brewer, Richard Hollingsworth. Congratulated, Richard. Um, Brews News has a new general manager and a new journalist. And uh, unfortunately, we're losing uh, Claire Burnett, who um, we would have loved to have had joining with us today, but she's handed back her mic. She's uh, And we're all working from remote locations, and she doesn't have great internet. So it was just a, a bridge too far. We might be able to wangle her out of retirement um, for for a last podcast, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. Listen, good luck to her as well. I've uh, I've had a lot of dealings over the years with Claire. I think dating back to when we owned Gabs, and she has been a fantastic asset for you and Bruce News. Um, so good luck with whatever she's planning to do next. Mm. And uh, we welcome Vivian as well, who's uh, who's a young journalist who uh, is doing great things as well. My favourite thing for in the Radio Brews News Facebook group was somebody said that Claire leaving with a sad boom, and I just thought that's <laughs> that's a regular listener right there. Yes, uh, the the boom has been retired. Um, moving on, uh, lack of budget support for breweries, no surprise. The federal budget came out last week and was free from support for the brewing industry, according to the sector's biggest organisations. The budget promised $62.6 million over three years for small and medium-sized businesses in energy efficiency grants to reduce energy use and lower bills, uh, $10.9 million in extra funding for new access for small business owner mental health, um, certainly can't sneeze at that, and $4 million extra for small business debt helpline operated by Financial Counselling Australia offering free phone-based support. But from the comments uh, from Kylie Lethbridge, it sounds like uh, some brewers might be taking up that free phone-based support if they uh, don't get some support. Uh, It's honourable to see support for electric vehicles, mental health uh, for small businesses and uh, initiatives to help improve energy efficiency. But it doesn't feel like there's a real understanding of how hard it is for Australian businesses at the moment or how the future looks. As Kylie said, I think uh, in this sort of uh, economic climate and with the budget in the state it's in, I I think that we couldn't have expected much more than what was given out. But the grants, I think, are are really something that all breweries should uh, explore to see what they're they're eligible for. We certainly just um, won a a $25,000 grant through the energy efficiency thing, which I heard about this morning. We've, we've had success with the R&D grant over, over the last four years as well. So there are a number of grants available to brewers, and um, I think the IBA does a good job of communicating those to its members. But I would encourage members to, and uh, brewers uh, generally to just um, try and keep their fingers on the pulse because they can really, they can really help. Help out. Well, we'll definitely follow uh, up on that grant that you got because we try and publicise when breweries get those and give an indication of the sorts of things that they use it for. Um, and w- w- which leads us into the next news story: uh, a tax break assists Belgian brewery to Australianise its beers. Madoc Brewery on the Gold Coast, which has only just celebrated its first anniversary, um, a, a great little brewery up there, is working towards making its Belgian-style beers uh, with Australian ingredients through the government's research and development. Tax Tax incentive program. Um, it gives a tax offset for 
um, approved research and development initiatives, and they'd been looking into how they could replace uh, some imported malts with uh, locally developed malts. And clearly it's working because the first beer that they have made using border malt from Barrett Burstett Malting, um, which is very local to them, and they took out the champion European-style ale um, trophy for the, the Belgian-style blonde. So um, congratulations to them. And that was a nice, uh, interesting use of uh, the, the, the research and development grant or um, rebate. We're going to be, um, Matt, just to sort of follow up on the point Steve was making, we're sort of starting to kick out, kick off our scoping at Brews News for the states of brewing, and that really tends to look at uh, funding in particular but support from state governments rather than federal. And uh, the point you made, Steve, about it being a difficult economic climate based on sort of the past year, it doesn't look like there has been much state government support generally. So we're going to be going out to breweries to say, hey, have you gotten anything? So it'll be really interesting to see if there's people out there that have been getting things for really unique um, really unique bits of research or otherwise um, from a, at a state government level to see what the overall funding is like for beer. Yeah, listen, I think, as I said before, I think there's there's – what what is available would be good to get people to to share that as well like some people some brewers don't like to share that sort of information but uh, where you, where they are happy to i think that's uh, it's it's i i like to see it because then um you can help others uh, access things that can help them in turn as well so i'm i'm supportive of anything that we can do to to share that sort of intel Moving on. Now, last week I was in Bangkok uh, at the Seabrew Conference. Uh, that is, uh, It was announced at the conference that it's uh, renaming itself to Brew Asia. Um, and I was there thanks to the great support from HPA who uh, assisted us to get there. Um, and they focused on a sustainable future of quality hops, beer and brewing education. Uh, and also uh, I was there thanks to Bespoke Brewing Solutions who displayed there. And it was great. You know, it's always interesting to see to step outside of the local industry bubble um, and see what's going on in an area so close. Um, and it was a really, really exciting conference to be at. I, I think when you look at the excitement of the industry uh, in Southeast Asia, it's where the Australian brewing industry was 10 or 15 years ago. It's got that same pioneering spirit and a lot of enthusiasm. Um, I, I will have more articles uh, coming out of Seabrew. Unfortunately, Qantas lost my bag that had all of my recording uh, <laughs> gear on, and it is yet to arrive. Thank you, Qantas. Uh, congratulations on your Shonky Award today presented by Choice Australia. Um, I, I think it was well-deserved, and uh, take a lap of honour for that one uh, with my bag. But anyway, um, one of the uh, stories that I have done uh, was Charlie Papazian, who you know pioneered craft brewing in 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 the United States, that in a lot of ways kicked off uh, the craft beer renaissance that, that that we've seen, and he gave a really interesting talk. And I'm always a little bit wary of in these days as the industry matures, elder states people of the brewing industry giving presentations at these things because it can always be a little bit of back in my day we did this and how relevant is it if their mindset hasn't changed um but charlie's was interesting because he he, he focused a lot on innovation and without telling anyone that innovation means this is the next style of beer that i think it's going to be he stressed that innovation isn't just about jumping on to well everyone's doing hazies which is the latest Seltzer. thing um, or seltzer, innovation is looking at the circumstance that your brewery finds itself in and how do you deal with the problems that you're being confronted with. And he listed about 15 to 20 aspects of business of brewing that you can innovate in. And it's not just beer styles. And it's looking at how you can better care for your staff, how you can, you know, these are all problems that, that face. And I thought it was a really... Um, you know, again, for somebody who is approaching, I don't want to predate him, but approaching retirement age, it was a really interesting presentation um, that got a lot of people thinking, but then also not just copying. And every time you copy what somebody else is doing, you actually diminish that thing and diminish what you're offering to, to the market, which again, a really, really powerful statement, I thought. I think um, that's really interesting. I haven't read that particular article, but I'm very interested to read it and will do. Um, Jim Jim from um, Boston Beer Company, He, he uh, I read an article in Brewband 
in the within the last week of and he he seemed to touch on some of the same points about innovation and copying and and I know from within the four walls here it's uh, it's an ongoing um, discussion and about uh, the difference between innovation and copying it's very it's one of the things I don't really follow other breweries that closely the reason being I read in um, Sam Calagione's book Business of Brewing I think about 10 years ago I read it um, very much that he didn't didn't do that because if you do read and follow all this other, these other breweries is that even subconsciously you find yourself copying so he, he would spend a lot of time uh, reading about what other products and other industries are doing to be inspired by that and um, it's certainly something that I used to travel much more than I do now, but mainly because of COVID and, and family and the like. But I, traveling overseas was a, such a great source of inspiration for me. And and the reality is that I don't think Gabs, Tap House, Stomping Ground, any of them would have probably existed, certainly in the way that they, they started, without that sort of going outside of, of your own bubble and uh, seeking ideas and inspiration. And, of course, there's nothing's ever truly original, but uh, I think you can be inspired in other ways and rather than just copying what your competitors are doing. But Steve, even on that, like I, I would consider, I, I remember when Stomping Ground um, opened and sour beers were just fairly you know, early to, to, to the market and a lot of brewers were making fruited sours. Um, you're still about the only business that I remember actually brought in Woodruff syrup, for example, and you know the, the the traditional Berliner Weiss style way of doing it, where you get the beer and then you can add the syrup to it, um, as opposed to getting it pre-made. And that's obviously something that has been in, inspired, but introducing it to a market that doesn't have that culture and that legacy, it's still an innovation here, um, and it's something that nobody else has done. You know, there's time and cost and challenge involved in that, and I, I would still consider that to some extent as an innovation because of the way that you uh, uh, applied that observation. Yeah, well, listen, that's that's what I was kind of saying before is that by travel, I think I got that from traveling as well. And uh, obviously before we opened Stomping Ground, I spent uh, a little over a year in, in the States living in New York City. And um, I spent a lot of time looking at what they were doing over there. And, and I do spend a lot of time reading about what's happening overseas and and, but I, I spend very little energy looking at what our competitors are doing um, uh, because there's no, uh, to me, I don't want to do what they're doing. I want to uh, try and find new ideas. And as you say, they don't need to be completely new ideas necessarily. They, you're just looking for new ideas in your market. So you might find that's what's, what XYZ Brewery is doing in the middle of America might, might really work here and might be worth trying. Or conversely, you look into other other areas of skateboarding or music or whatever it might be and, and fashion and events even to see well you might take a nugget from there and a nugget from there and a nugget from there and and um that's really how gabs came about is i went and went and looked at a bunch of beer festivals around the world and and borrowed some ideas but also got inspired to create a new idea love it can't wait to get traveling again hey <laughs> well and losing your bags um now, uh, just a little snippet that I picked up uh, while I was there, again, not directly out of Asia, but it's certainly relevant to Asia because Convoy was in Asia uh, sharing its keg pooling model and uh, they just signed Good Good George and it just happened that Brian Watson from Good George was also there. So I was able to get the scoop on uh, Convoy Converts New Zealand's Good George Brewing to Keg Rental. Now, this was a big coup for the model because Good George is a tap-based business, so a keg-based business, but also owns a lot of its own taps. And so uh, they were still able to see the benefits of the keg rental model. Um, and uh, Brian said it was a very conscious decision because they had to make the right decision because of the cost. But the benefits to Convoy is that it really adds to their ability to provide a circular uh, market um, because having more brewers in more locations reduces the carbon footprint for moving beer around the country. So I thought that was an interesting, uh, just a little story. It's been a bit of a news, uh, a bit of a self-news story this week. Um, but this week we launched the Inspired Report, uh, something last else that week. we've... Uh, last last week. week. God, how time flies. Um, <laughs> the Inspired Report, which we get seen a lot of media releases for academic research and we're just aware of it because of the... Um, 
you know, horizon scan that we do. And we realized that a lot of it wasn't getting out to the industry. And so again, thanks to Hot Products Australia, who are great partners of ours, um, who, you know, they, they gave us the ability to invest the time in collating some of this report. Um, and it's it really is interesting to see the number of allied industries that are investing in research that will benefit the brewing industry. But as Jade said last week, Matt, when we had a brief talk about it, um, you know, it's the kind of stuff that's not particularly sexy. And I know that HPA are the sponsors of our mailbag. And, you know, one of the comments we got back from Josh Donahoe, who you guys would have heard on this podcast, who's done some work, he's in tourism. And he was like, it was great to see that tourism research on beer tourism was part of the academic research so it's not just being you know it's not just on ingredients it was on the full gamut of you know sensory and everything which is is really impressive and so you know the hope from a brews news perspective and and i think from an industry perspective is this encourages more breweries to reach out to academics um to do some applied research uh, because it's you know we we just had a lengthy discussion about innovation but utilizing uh research uh through the academic which can be slow going um but they need applied research so that it really counts for industries so that it can be useful so that's sort of the hope around that Exactly. So, uh, but yeah, if you haven't read the report, go there, there. There's a whole lot of stuff, you know, from tourism uh, right through. So, other news. Great conversation, uh, Rami Abdullah from Brayside Brewing. Um, go have a listen to that. Pink Boots, the 2022 Kegstar Book Pack scholarships are now open for Pink Boots members, and tickets went on sale yesterday or today, depending on when the notes were done, for the Institute of Brewing and Distilling's Asia Pacific Conference being held in Adelaide in March 2023. Um, now we have a brewery of the week, thanks to Steve. Well, uh, Bluestone Yeast, uh, thanks to Bluestone Yeast, who are presenting it. Uh, and Bluestone Yeast can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you are after a one-off pitch or you're looking for a weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has got you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast. And I'm sure when he's talking about the two billion cells, he'll be doing his best uh, uh, Dr. Evil uh, impersonation, uh, saying billion, not million. Um, Steve, do you have a uh, brewery of the week that you would like to share with us? I've got two, one home, one away. Well, we should travel for beer, as we've already talked about. Neither I have visited, so I can't vouch for them uh, personally, but I'm... They're definitely places that I would like to visit and intend to visit. The one um, in Australia is Wild Hop Brewery uh, in Margaret River. I've just that's just come on my radar. It's obviously very hard to keep up with all the brewery openings, and uh, but Wild Hop has just come onto my radar, and I've read a little bit about it and their model, um, which uh, it really interests me as well. Is that they just uh, have rotating taps? They brew whatever they want. They have no ambition in the near future of, of selling their beer. Uh, certainly packaging their beer elsewhere. The other one is Treehouse in, in the United States, um, which um, I think is outside of Boston in, in Massachusetts. And um, one of our brewing team told me about it just a few weeks ago because they were planning to go and visit it. But another brewery that has grown massively in size and reputation um, for the quality of its beers, but also the fact that it doesn't sell its beers anywhere other than at the brewery. But as, as is Americans want is that they love the hype and they love to queue and they love to drive great distances. And they're certainly doing that for Treehouse where they actually have shopping trolleys when you enter the brewery uh, in, the, in the brewery store and people will come out of there with literally cases of Treehouse cans, which are just canned on site. And uh, they fill their car boots uh, with these uh, cases and uh, drive hours back home. Um, I think that... Wow. I, as we were talking before about the idea of just, um, you know, what I think I would do if I was starting out now is, I, you know, those sort of models um, um, speak to me at least. And uh, you don't have to worry so much about competing for shelf space or tap space. You don't have any of that stress, all the, all the ancillary hard work and struggle and cost around it. Um, so I'm really interested in both of those. That's really interesting, Steve. In um, coming out of the US, it seems to be an increasing trend 
that you've got the tap room slash brew pub and a retail experience, like actually quite a fulsome retail experience. Um, and the Brewers Association in the US has been doing a whole bunch of work around what makes a great retail on-premise retail experience, which is quite different to the way we've had it which is sort of you chuck your merch on one wall and maybe you've got a fridge. It's really about curating that experience. And it's um, I think you're right based on what's going on in the US and based on margins that you can make here. If you're investing in having a brew pub, then that retail experience I think is going to be, you know, is going to come. I think what's uh, interesting is uh, I'm, I'm still, the jury's out for me a little bit about how you apply that particular trend to Australia because of our uh, of our culture and it's even just if you look about as I said people driving hours there's not many breweries I think uh, I could probably if I could count them on one hand I'd be lucky the breweries that have that level of hype factor around them and uh, it's obviously everyone would love that uh, a little bit of that sprinkled on their own brand if possible but I still don't know if if we're as that excited by queuing and driving three hours or four hours to, to get that but um i certainly and also the same with the retail experiences that for years i've been visiting the states and breweries have had elevated retail yeah. um stores if you like incorporated uh, much more so than our fairly rudimentary uh, offerings but um, i also think that americans have a, a greater appetite for brewery merch than, than we probably do we there's an appetite there but i think it's at an, another another level uh, in yeah. the well it's it, it's it's certainly a uh, an appetite that beer fans would love to uh to to see joe cook uh, who was on the show recently um would, would love to see develop unpaid endorsement hey, unpaid it was an unpaid endorsement absolutely now, uh, anything else? Uh, anything? Actually, I'm I'm not going to do a brewery of the week, um, but I'm just going to update a previous one that we did, uh, and it was almost news, but it's not quite broken news yet. So I'll throw this buried at the end of the podcast to see if anyone's listening. Um, Easy Times, which was a previous brewery oh, cool. of the week, um, announced uh, a while ago that they'd gone into uh, voluntary administration or entered voluntary administration. They had a meeting of creditors this week and I believe all creditors have been repaid and there's a minimum, I think, 30 days that you have to be in, voluntary, in the administration process and they're coming out on day 31. So apparently the administrator said it's one of the best uh, processes that they've been involved in. So that's some very exciting news. It's uh, you know, great news for, for easy times. It's great news. That wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kierkegaard, General Manager of Brews News, Sabrina Kunz, and Steve Jeffers from just about everywhere. Gabs, Stomping Ground, the Board of Good Drinks. Steve, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Lovely to talk to you both. And the person who will be reaching out to you is our producer, Vivian Topalovich, not our editor, Joe Helder. We thank Bintani, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, HPA and Bluestone Yeast for their support in making this episode possible and especially HPA for helping us get to Seabrew last week. Thank you all for listening. You can share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au or leave a review on your favourite podcasting service or join the conversation on the Facebook group. And with that, and for one last time, before we surrender the boom... Boom.